When the answer at night is, I'm not proud of who I presented myself to be, it's oftentimes because I have not taken enough time to stop, reflect, recharge, do true restoration work, and I've just been pouring myself out too much. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Today on Get Clear with Crystal Ware, we are celebrating a special day, the 4th of July. So happy Independence Day to you and your family. Let us remember to uphold the true spirit of America today and practice kindness, loyalty, camaraderie, and serve our nation to the fullest. We were founded in a way that let us learn, live, grow, and create deep entrepreneurship and leadership skills that still thrive today. So let's not forget that. And today on the episode, we have Mandolin Mull, and we will be jumping into all kinds of topics on imposter syndrome, burnout, stoicism, leadership, how to get through the Great Recession, why women and being funny is a thing that Harvard wrote an entire article about, emotional intelligence, and so much more. So let's dive in together. Here we go. Today on the show, we have Dr. Mandolin Mull, who is the founder of Momentum Consulting, which is a leadership and organizational development firm. She has a PhD in organizational development and change, an MBA in international business, and her expertise lies in change management, operations, and leader development. She ran a higher education administration. Before that, accrued a decade of corporate leadership experience across healthcare, property, preservation, and logistical distribution, and has an extensive background in leadership performance. She consults with organizations across the entire globe, providing analysis and interventions targeted to improve organizational performance outcomes. So today we are going to talk about a multitude of different topics, but what I really wanted to dive into and welcoming to the show is asking you about what your background is and how you got into academia and consulting uh, with organizational and operational excellence. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here, Crystal. So I, I just fell into everything. (laughs) I've kind of bumbled my way through, I think. Um, so I am the youngest daughter of a master stonemason. Um, my father dropped out of high school and went to work and I'm, I learned a lot from his entrepreneurial spirit, watching how much, you know, he really took um, the responsibility of leadership very seriously. And then my grandfather, my mother's father, was a colonel in the Air Force and a base commander. And he was my best friend. Um, He had a lot of aspirations for me to travel the world. And I'm he was a second generation politician. Um, so I was really little talking politics and religion and 
you know, big things like euthanasia when I was like seven um, <laughs> with, with him. Um, and so I went away to college and got a degree in political science and psychology. And I graduated early, found myself in a leadership role. So all of my career, um, I've spent only about three months where I was not in a leadership role and or at least a supervisory role. And I'm, I was terrified that I was going to fall flat on my face. You know, I'd never taken a business course. I didn't, I didn't want to fail the people I was supposed to serve. So I started going back. I got my MBA and I graduated from the McLean College of Business. And uh, the McLean family was so wonderful. They identified me as a hypo. Uh, I was brought in to uh, get a lot of operational experience in a 116 degree warehouse, <laughs> overseeing 160 men doing manual labor that I cannot do. And um, I, you know, it was there that I started asking my team members if they thought about where they wanted to be in 10 years. And so many of them were like, no, I haven't thought about it. And I couldn't believe that. Uh, the, the organization offered tuition assistance. And in order to be in a supervisory capacity, they needed to have a degree. So I started training my, my team members um, to go back to college and uh, helping them fill out FAFSA forms and applications and all that. And that brought me into academia, which brought me to uh, getting a PhD and um, founding my own consulting firm. Wow. So when you're jumping into that, you know, how did you feel? I mean, there's so many things that are interesting about that and things that I love to talk about, but you were obviously one young, two lesser experienced and three going into a largely male oriented, um, warehouse and organization and culture. And how did you, you know, modify your way of handling things and the way that you are going to work and lead and learn to fit within the culture? Yeah. So that's um, a great question because I mean, you know, not only in that environment, but I also train iron workers every summer. Uh, so it's about 800 iron workers. I'm four foot 11. So this four foot 11 funky, you know, redhead comes walking in with a PhD. I'm um, and people think, oh, yeah, we've heard consultants before, like, whatever, you know, she, yeah, how is she really going to help us? Um, and I always say, if I can't reach them, I can't teach them. So I have to really think about, uh, you know, and it's a lot of my upbringing with my father and my grandfather. I'm of, you know, how are we serving others and really addressing uh, the individual? You know, I don't go in and consult to companies. I consult to people. Uh, I can't, I can't do anything with an organization. I've got to address the people first. I've got to meet their pain points before I ever start thinking about giving them talking points. I'm, and until I do that, until I understand what's going on with the, at the individual level, I can't help. And so I think that's been the key to my success is that people, I remember I had a colleague specifically in that environment, look at another colleague and he said, She's the real deal, huh? And somebody said, I, I honestly think she is. Um, I think, 
you know, I'm a terrible liar. It doesn't, you know, it shows up on my face. It's all that kind of stuff. So one of my values is authenticity and transparency. And I think people realize that and resonate with that. And it just worked really well for me so far. I'm, and I, you know, people, I think are hungry for that. I think they want that connection, especially those of us that have been high achievers early in our careers. I'm, I, I have, you know, a lot of folks in the millennial friend group that sit there and say, so this is it. <laughs> like, like I've, I've achieved so much and this is where we're at. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately uh, it's coming back to finding out what's meaningful to people um, and, and helping develop them. It's uh, people's lives we're talking about. You know, they take it home. They take work home with them. Absolutely. I mean, it's really hard not to take work home with you, despite what, you know, we want to believe and we want to see and we want to think about that. But it's really can be difficult, um, especially when you're in a leadership position and especially when you care so much about the people that you're working with. And so when you're talking about iron workers and your um, your initial role and how they offer tuition assistance, what percent of people in the population of the employees were actually um, going forward and furthering their education? And when I, I assume it was probably on the lower end. And how did you feel about that? And what did you do to work towards um, encouraging them to growth and, and learning? You know, Crystal, this is a phenomenal question. I'm, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there that offer tuition assistance um, and a lot of people don't take advantage of it. And uh, I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome at play there as to why people don't. Um, I think a lot of people, I, I think academia by and large has not done well to meet the needs uh, of recognizing people who have already have work experience and, and other credentials um, that have been valued by their employers, uh, paid for by their employers for certain credentials like uh, Six Sigma or SHRM or things like that. Um, I think education needs to catch up and, and meet those needs. We know that starting in 2025, we're facing a demographic cliff in higher education meaning that, you know, during the Great Recession, people weren't having as many children. And because they weren't having as many children, starting in 2025, there's expected to be about a 15% decline in first-time and freshman enrolled uh, college students. So academia um, is needing to meet the needs of really professionally developing individuals who are already in the job market. So... From my perspective, that was always a big passion project for me. So the two institutions that I serve, Tarleton State University and Rockford University, I was really proud we met those needs. We offered um, degrees that awarded documented work training um, and training and credentials um, as college credit. And I think that more and more universities need to be doing that. I think, you know, educate, you know, Higher education is not the only organizations that can educate. Um, you know, there's a lot of unionized uh, labor out there that has their own training protocols um, that, you know, again, um, there's a lot of opportunity for people to have continuing education, 
But I think one of the biggest barriers is imposter syndrome and people being afraid to believe in themselves. And how do you see that playing out when it comes to, you know, do you have some specific examples that you've seen or that you can share uh, about how that might play out with um, individuals in the corporate sphere, maybe individuals that do not have a degree, but want to get professional development and or with women in the workforce? Yeah. So I'm, I have been very fortunate that you know, in my academic experience, I've worked with mainly adult learners. So people who have work experience and are wanting to promote up. Um, and the, again, the two biggest hurdles today, today are imposter syndrome. This, I don't think I'm good enough. I think I'm a fraud. I don't think I belong here. Um, you know, and, and then the other one is burnout. Um, and both of those are some pretty big, massive hurdles for us to be navigating. And so as I address those with individuals, you know, one of the nice things as a consultant, um, I get to go into organizations and I get to talk about things like imposter syndrome and vulnerability and the power of vulnerability, because what we've traditionally been taught that good leadership is never let them see you sweat, be perfect. Leadership is messy. And I've got to create um, some grace space, some space for grace there for those individuals to understand that they can be leaders, that they can promote up, that they can take that bet on themselves, that they are worth that, that investment in themselves, whether that's a traditional degree plan or just you know, maybe company-sponsored training um, that they're getting in their own professional development. Um, I do think, you know, we're seeing more and more organizations because the hiring market is so tight right now. Organizations aren't looking for college degrees these days, but that doesn't mean that the employees don't need professional development. Um, And, you know, HR departments don't really have the bandwidth these days to do the training and development that is really required of, um, you know, to, to be able to foster those career pathways internally. So that's where somebody like me as a consultant or doing online training is, is able to help round that out for individuals. Um, but it's reminding people that they don't want to peak too soon. Uh, you know, it, I, I see a lot of people, Crystal, that want to get um, a title and they don't understand the responsibility that comes behind that title. And so I have to tell them, like, it's not enough for you to get that promotion. We want you to actually be sustainably good once you get that promotion. So really giving them the tools for sustainable success, not just success, um, makes a big difference. And it's, it's creating that understanding for people because traditionally, especially here in the States, we've grown up in a very if-then situation, uh, our world. Uh, we've learned by if-then uh, routines. So I think we see people who think, well, if I get promoted, then I'll be successful. If I get promoted, then I'll know all of the, the things I need to know. You know. And what I have to tell them is, not quite. <laughs> You're still going to have... Um, setbacks. It's not a linear process. So you have to continually be developing yourselves 
surrounding yourself by people that um, will hold you accountable, allowing them to hold you accountable um, to being a better version of yourself and making sure that you haven't peaked too soon. Do you think then that with um, higher education, um, we should insert some language in there or some training, um, some pieces of the pie that would address mindset and confidence and building uh, personal development as well as the academic side of it? Absolutely. I I mean, you know, we have this rush for things in STEM, which I wholly support. We need those, those technical realms, but we're seeing the, you know, the increase of artificial intelligence and all of these kinds of things happening. The one thing that doesn't change is this need for emotional intelligence and the need for the human element of how do we meet the needs of people? You know, we are seeing across our country right now, you know, an epidemic of, um, burnout at very, very high rates. Um, And that's not sustainable. And so we've got to keep thinking about what does conflict transformation look like? How do we get people to understand that accountability isn't a bad thing? It's not adversarial, it's developmental. How do we truly go back to developmental processes? The sad thing is, is we have a lot of people who see their work environments, who see academic environments, as a win-loss rather than a growth experience. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like either I'm I'm successful or I'm a failure. I passed or failed. You know, it, it, I had to get that A, I had to get that gold star, or, you know, I, I, you know, all of these kinds of things. We're not setting ourselves up for success. So I do think academia needs to be addressing a lot more of a developmental process making even things like grades, you know, there's a movement in higher education to do away with grading structures or re reinventing what those grading structures look like, um, to be able to really show that this is, that progress is more prioritized than, uh, some kind of arbitrary letter grade. And, and, and what would your, what would you say about that? Do you think that we should go away from grading system? Or do you think that there's some uh, amount of accountability that needs to be there to say, here is how you're doing, here is how you're progressing against the norm or otherwise? Yeah, I think we've weaponized metrics quite a bit. I'm, so for me personally, you know, when I became a professor, nobody ever teaches you how to become a professor, by the way. <laughs> You just kind of fall into it. And um, and so I knew that I had not built my career off of multiple choice or, you know, true, false kind of, you know, definition type stuff. I had to build my career off of working collaboratively with people rather than in a competition with them, um, which is not our traditional school structure, right? It's usually pretty competitive. Um, and learning that I didn't have to be good at everything. I didn't need to uh, strengthen my weaknesses. I needed to outsource my weaknesses. I needed to, you know, find people who were better at things that I wasn't so good at so I could get a better return on my own energies and put it towards the things I needed to and work collaboratively with them. So when I became a professor, the things that I started focusing on was not I don't know that I ever used any kind of multiple choice um, test in any of my classes. I always used reflection papers 
Um, because what I wanted to know was I wanted my students to take ownership of their learning and their growth. I wanted to see how they could apply it. Because what I, I always tell anyone that I teach or train in my consultancy is, you know, this idea that I don't get to tell you what's valuable to you. I'm going to give you a lot of content and information, but ultimately you get to decide what is valuable or useful. And I needed to be able to capture that, you know, and understand where the students were at, understand where they were going and be able to develop them further beyond that. Give my feedback from that. I did not want them to recite things that, you know, if I wrote the lecture, I delivered the lecture. The last thing I wanted was for them to repeat the lecture. (laughs) So I, I personally, I'm, I think we hold them accountable to owning their education. And I think that's a different structure. And I think I'm for my personal brand, you know, of academic uh, freedom and integrity was how do I get people to tell me that this is meaningful and useful to them? Because otherwise I, I really felt that everything else was just arbitrary. I don't get to dictate from that metric perspective, whether that was valuable or not. Yeah. It's really the application of the knowledge that's going to make the difference in your life. I mean, that's really where rubber meets the road. Um, We can study and memorize facts all day long. And I I mean, I love math and math is applicable to many things, you know, in life and building and construction and uh, physics and other areas. But if you're not going to be working in those areas, it really doesn't have that big of an impact or application to your life. Um, And so taking in those courses that can really change. Uh, And I always tell people, the interesting thing for me in going to law school was I felt that the way I learned in law school was actually a better way to digest and take in critical facts. So what you're saying, what matters to you? I mean, it's going to be a little bit different from, you know, whoever is listening but the way you synthesize material wasn't necessarily about, you know, memorizing a bunch of random numbers or facts. It was taking it in so that you could make an argument and justifications for something else. And I always say that I wish I knew how to study and take in information in that way and have applied it to my undergrad learning. I mean, I still did very well in undergrad, but if you just knew that way. So when I think about the bigger picture and I have kids that are going to be, you know, going into um, college in the future and thinking about those things, I'm always wondering how can I lead them to a way that will make uh, use of their time, which is studying and preparation and going to college and all that time spent, that it makes it the most meaningful and you come away the most intellectual. Um, and I do think there is, you know, a lot to be learned. <laughs> in an undergraduate degree across the U.S. and how we can improve upon that. Um, Because you're right, like multiple choice and Scantron tests are just not it. That's not, I mean, and a large degree, I feel the same way about the SAT. I mean, I was just talking to some folks. I have a lot of friends who have um, that age category of child that they're working on the SAT. And I just think, I mean, I know you need to have some basis to compare students to getting in. But like the SAT doesn't tell you that much. Honestly, if you study enough and you have somewhat of an intellect, um, you can do pretty well. 
<laughs> so um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, and the G, yeah, the GRE, the GMAT, same kinds of things. And, you know, it's really, you know, people always say that knowledge is power. And I'm like, knowledge is not power. It's the application of knowledge that is power. Right. And our ability to actually tangibly absorb that information, own that information, and then put it to use. And one of the things I think we miss out on, and I remember I did the same thing as you, Crystal, when I was getting my MBA. I remember, you know, I was learning statistics and stuff. And I would have to sit down with those books in front of me and I would say, I literally out loud, I'd go, okay, Mandolin, make it make sense to you. Speak it out loud. So I'd start putting it in my own words. And I applied everything to baseball because I'm a diehard Texas Rangers fan. So that's actually how I learned statistics all throughout <laughs> my PhD, my MBA and PhD. And at some point, somebody said, you do realize you're not getting a PhD in Texas Rangers, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But I had to apply it to something that made sense to me, that grounded me. And then I had the agility to, to you know, really use that information. Until I owned it, I didn't, I, you know, it was just words. It was just recitation of somebody else's knowledge and it was not my own knowledge. And I didn't know that I was transitioning from being a consumer of knowledge to actually becoming a producer of knowledge. And that again is a huge differential that I think gives people a ton of agency. I love that. And you know what? That just goes really well into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. You know, because when we think about how we're thinking, like the whole topic of okay. I'm thinking, I'm synthesizing, I'm formulating, consuming versus producing knowledge. I know that you have gotten into stoicism and I probably did not really understand what stoicism yeah. meant until recently. And I know you are an avid fan of Ryan Holiday, who I also love, love, love. And he lives two hours away from me. And uh, at some point, Ryan, yes. I'm going to pop by the painted porch and try to catch you there and be like, let's be best friends. <laughs> but I'll come find you yes. too. I'll come down to Texas. For yes. that. Yeah. We might have to spend a whole week there to catch him, I think. But I <laughs> Like it's not too far away. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting to just have a 10 minute conversation with somebody that is yeah. so thoughtful and thought provoking in that way, right? And so when we think about yeah. stoicism and yes. where we are today, yeah, I where do you think you know we should be? I mean, we we are not producing people that are thinking in the same manner that people were thinking thousands of years ago, and we're not prioritizing that. I feel like that that's a problem and that we should really reprioritize ourselves on being thought leaders and philosophers and that there is a lot of merit in that. I could not agree with you more. I think on, um, you know, I got into stoicism several years ago um, and one of my mentees and I have really been walking it together the last couple of years. Um, and it's been incredibly transformational. And I, recently had mentioned it to, to some folks um, and somebody emailed me later and said, Hey, I, what book would you recommend I start with? And I got so excited because I knew this individual 
was, uh, you know, I could see a prior version of me, you know, a high achiever, go, go, go. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, this is a good one. And I was like, Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. That's the book you need to start with. Um, you know, there's different times that, that different virtues of, of stoicism and different aspects of stoicism really resonate with us. Um, I, I challenged some folks to read Ego is Enemy. And I remember when I read the preface of it and Ryan's story was a lot like mine, um, I just bawled like a small girl child the entire time I read it. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've had other people read it and they say, well, I feel like he's really attacking me. <laughs> you know, it really resonates um, with so many of us. And I think what we are seeing, and I have this conversation with a lot of my friends um, who say, you know, I, I achieved early career success. Um, I earned all the gold medals, all the stars, all the accolades. And why am I still not happy? You know, you know, what else is, you know, at this point? Um, and they really skipped past all of the meaning behind those things. Uh, what felt like victories really didn't feel like victories. It really didn't feel like winning. It was just meeting people's expectations, but not refilling their own cup. So stoicism to me, really makes us stop, slow down, and really connect with that. The other part of that that I think is so powerful is the idea of um, you know, not allowing ourselves to get so wrapped up in uh, you know, small grievances, our you know, the offenses and all these kinds of things that really divide us and keep us from being connected with each other. Um so it's a balance between an immense amount of introspection and ourselves, which I love. Uh, and I think we don't do enough reflection, period. Um, especially high achievers um, and early career professionals. We do not do enough reflection. Uh, and we need to do a lot more of it. But it's also, once we have that reflection, we have a lot more grace for others. We have a lot more compassion and empathy and development and that space to really help people um, and work collaboratively with folks instead of constantly acting um, instinctually and reactive. Um, we're being far more intentional and responsive to the world around us. And, and what a gift and what a powerful thing that is. And I think... It's something that many of us were not taught. Um, you know, we were told, and, and, and this is the thing, Crystal, I think most people get told like, make sure you're practicing self-care, but we don't know what self-care actually looks like. <laughs> like uh, we think it's a spa day. We think it's like, and it might be for some people, but I remember recently I was reading something um, that talked about ways that we comfort ourselves after like a bad day. Um, and it had mentioned taking a warm shower and getting into clean bed sheets. And I thought, oh my gosh, that does make me feel so much better. Um, and, you know, that to me is self-care or, you know, wrapping up in blankets is self-care, these kinds of things. People don't know what that looks like for them. So going back to what I was saying earlier is I don't get to tell people what's valuable to them from a teaching perspective. And 
this this aspect, we don't get to tell people what is care for themselves, what's reflective for themselves. And sadly, I think people are still checking the boxes because that's what we've been ingrained. Um, but we really got to shift that to uh, what does it look like to us? What does that brand look like to us? And I think stoicism gets us there. Yeah. And I have so many notes and follow-ups to that. I, I would start by saying <laughs> on self-care, you know, what you've described is true. And I, I do some of those things as well. You know, I love to go to the spa. I love to sit and stretch, but what I found and, and what, you know, has just become more clear in your explanation there is that, and I don't have the right words for this, but we're taking kind of more action oriented coddling type effects, which are okay sometimes, but we're not getting closer to ourselves to see how we can really improve. And so what could we be doing? Right. We're really not taught a lot of that self-regulation. Yeah. So instead of that, replacing or adding to it, it doesn't necessarily have to replace, but add to that. What are some of the ways that we could take some self-reflection time and add into that self-care versus just, you know, I'm going to go have a drink with friends. I'm going to go to the spa, which is action oriented, doing something, replacing it, eating. I'm going to get some ice cream, all these other actions that we might do to make ourselves feel better. How can we get really real with ourselves and clear and reflect on what is going on to cause this and how we can improve that? Yeah. You know, for me, it's been a lot of that. Um, I do, I have a routine where I break, I, I stop at night. Um, I, I close the laptop. I sit on the couch with the dogs, my bad dogs. And, um, you know, and I sit there and kind of reflect and I do a really quick check every night before I go to bed was just asking the question of, am I proud of the woman I presented myself to be today? And that's a really easy question um, to ask, not always an easy question to answer. Um, and that is a very good gut check for me because that's right before bed, that question of, am I proud of who I presented myself to be today? And it gives me a sense of what was a missed opportunity? Where did I perhaps not act in my best self? What and why do I feel that way? When I start to connect into, do I feel some shame here? Do I feel guilt? Do I feel depleted? Do I feel um, that I just ran through the day and totally lost myself? I served everyone else, but not me. Um, you know, one of those things is really hard as I see, and I say this all the time in my consulting clients, People are doing really great work. I mean, really great work. And so many people are benefiting off their work, except for the individual doing the work. Meaning that individual is pouring all this stuff out and they're just checking boxes and going, 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 but they're really not getting their cup refilled. And so it's a lot of extraneous movement without a lot of intention. And it's, you know, it's the difference between if we take our cell phones and we have it off, it's not draining the battery, but it's also not recharging that battery. And I don't think a lot of people are thinking about how they're recharging themselves. They're, they're going to the spa, they're going out for those drinks and that's, that's not draining the battery, but is it really restorative? And what does restoration look like to 
to you. And, and that could change at different times of our lives. But for me, that gut check at night, when I'm asking myself if I'm proud of who I present myself to be, sometimes I start to dive into, have I been going too much and not nurturing myself or nourishing myself? Am I not giving myself enough energy and effort to be able to keep doing the things that I want to do and serve in the way that I want to serve? Because I have found when the answer at night is I'm not proud of who I presented myself to be, it's oftentimes because I have not taken enough time to stop, reflect, recharge, tr do true restoration work. Um, and, and I've just been pouring myself out too much. Yeah. And you highlighted one of the things that is, you know, journaling, which is, I feel like everywhere in the self-help world right now, everybody talks about journaling and how important it is. And I do agree but if we take ourselves back to the Stoics and the question like you ask yourself, it's the questions that we're asking and what we are trying to get clearer on that really is the difference maker. So for people that want self-improvement, want to get clear, want to understand what is going to bring themselves true happiness, we have to ask the right questions. And it's about ourselves not just journaling overarching feelings or just, you know, word diary on a page, which can be helpful if you're trying to ideate, come up with something new, get, 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 you know, an idea out of you onto paper. But if you are looking for growth, like the Stoics had, I mean, that's what Marcus Aurelius did all the time. He had certain questions that he asked himself about how he was interacting with the world, how he was presenting himself, what were his shortfalls and shortcomings, and the practice and art of writing the answers down over and over and over for years, I think is what led to his highest evolution. And so I think when you talk about restoration and how do we get there and how do we work on self-care, it's choosing the right way and the right prompting question to ask um, that's really, really important. And I don't think that people talk about that part a lot. I think that's really where we see a shortfall in the self-help arena on how we can improve. I think so. And I think it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability to ask ourselves those questions, right? Like, I mean, it's hard to sit there some days and go, no, I did not act in my best self. And why didn't I? And I can say, because I wasn't grounded or that, you know, I, I got too distracted and too caught up with grievances with other people that were, you know, insignificant and trivial. And I used a lot of energy and effort that could have better been spent towards more meaningful type work than this diversion. Um, I always call those flying monkeys. I think about um, the Wizard mm -hmm. of Oz, you know, those flying monkeys swooping in that kind of distract yep. us. Um, and and so I have to think about that. Did I get caught up with flying monkeys today? You know, and the reality is, is we're human. That is going to happen. And so here's the the other thing. When I first started asking myself these type of questions, and I first started to do this type of reflection work, shame was the name of the game, right? There was that like, oh, I did not act on my best self. I'm a horrible person. I shouldn't own this. I should hide. Um, now I go, okay, well, 
I've learned from it. What, where am I growing into? I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I'm aware of it. I'm glad I'm correcting it. Now I can go back, address it, try to earn back some credibility. If I can, I might not be able to, but at least, you know, I'm offering that opportunity. Um, and I find that that feels so much more growth oriented. So I had to get over that shame hump a little bit in the beginning of, you know, oh, I've done something wrong. Um, don't tell anybody, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, whereas now I go, okay, I'm not proud of how I acted today. So who do I need to go and, and try to make amends with? And maybe it's not an individual. Maybe it's myself. Maybe I sit there and say, I got way too distracted today. Um, and instead of beating myself up over it, where do I want to grow forward? Um, and that makes a big difference. Absolutely. And the thing is, I think it's really difficult for people because it's tedious and it's intentional. And that, you know, you talk about that a lot too, the intentionality and living into the intentional. And what do you think it is that keeps so many people from really honing in and tuning in to that intentionality? They, they may say they want to grow and they may say that they want to learn and they want to change and they want to be different but it takes so much tedious work and intentionality to actually start moving the ship because that's our personality. That's our habits. That's it's, it's a huge ship. That's very hard and slow to turn. What do you think prevents people who may be really in their heart want it, but they're not ready or willing or whatever the case may be. What is preventing them from getting really intentional and taking actions that can um, really start making a difference in their lives? I think it's likely a lack of knowing their own personal values. So for example, one of uh, some of my personal values are transparency, um, authenticity, growth, grace, civility, and accountability. And I don't always like it when someone holds me accountable. And what I have to go back and, and you know, when the ginger ninja rises up and I get a little upset because somebody's holding me accountable, I have to think, did they do it towards my growth? Were they transparent with me? Did they extend grace for the fact that I'm still a work in progress as we all are? And did they do it um, in a civil manner? And if they did, then either I really am living out my values and I need to shut up and listen to what they're giving me because they're holding me accountable and I care about that. Or now I have these anchoring points to go back and say, I appreciate that you're trying to hold me accountable. However, I don't feel that you did it in a civil manner. And here's how I would like for us to address this. Um, I think personal values, I, you know, I know personally when I sat down to create my own personal values, it took me a while. I could name every company that I worked for, every university's core values, but I did not know what my personal ones were. So I went to Google and I looked them all up. <laughs> I, I started to figure out what were my personal values. And, you know, I thought at first maybe honesty. And then I thought, you know, I really don't like honesty because honesty sometimes feels like you have to pass a riddle where people are kind of like, um, if you would have asked me, I would have told you. I like transparency a lot. But I think many, many people have not done that investigation of, what do I want people to know about me and their interactions? What do I want them to associate with me? And what do I expect from them and my interactions with them? And those are going to be my guiding 
anchor points. Those are going to be my personal values. So then when you're doing that deep dive and those kind of reflections, you know then where you're giving, you know, like I said, the shame was a big thing for me. Well, grace is one of my values. So grace had to come back in and help me out. I'm um, being civil to myself had to come in when negative self-talk reared out. Um, and so accountability had to come forward when I needed that as well. So I think that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that's holding people back is they don't yet know what their personal values are. They haven't done their own brand work yet. So what are you working on currently when it comes to your thought leadership and producing information over consuming information? Yeah, so I'm finishing up writing a book on, I'm it's a leadership book. It's about messy leaders. It's called Imposters and Influencers, the Intentionality of Leadership. So a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, and um, my consulting firm has expanded. Uh, we brought in new consultants. Uh, we're going to be offering some online uh, professional development in addition to uh, the traditional uh, customized you know, momentum uh, consulting uh, work that we've been doing. So we're trying to reach people where they are, help them grow to where they want to be. That's amazing. And when did your book come out? Uh, it should come out this fall. So I'm really excited about that. Wow. Are you um, self-publishing or do you have uh, an agent did the whole uh, full full board uh, publishing route? Yeah. So it's the fine folks at um, Kindle Hunt Publishing that reached out and uh, th that are doing it. So um, they've been a phenomenal team to work with. Um, and uh, yeah, well, we're already starting to talk about book number two down the road. So. <laughs> wow. That, I mean, a girl after my own heart. You're not done with the one project and you're looking to the future for the next project. Uh, I, I, I love that because I never have a shortness of ideas or projects that I want to pursue. It's like when you, when you talk about getting clear with yourself and understanding who you are and working through those things, um, at one point, that's what I just had to, to accept about myself is that, you know, um, I like to be stressed and I like to have a lot of projects. <laughs> so peeling that away uh, is like peeling away my own DNA. Uh, there's only so much you could do, <laughs> but that's awesome. Um, and are you, yeah. are you through the writing process? How has that been? Is there any tips or ideas that you have for people who may be thinking out there? Uh, I want to write a book too. Yeah. So I'm finishing up the writing process. And I will say for me, it was so much about writing in my, in my voice. Um, again, if I don't, if I don't reach people, I can't teach them. Um, and so I write like I talk, uh, you know, it was really very much that sense of, I didn't want to be too, you know, after being in academia so long, we write in very academic ways that, that doesn't always, you know, hit people and resonate with them. Um, and I wanted to be able to get that opportunity. So my advice to others is find a, you know, if you're going, whether you self-publish or you find a publishing house, if they support you writing in your voice, um, that really does make all the difference. That's amazing. Well, we'll look forward to that coming out. Um, besides that, one of the questions I always love to ask people is, is there anything that you could see yourself doing that you've thought about doing that you want to do? that maybe the people closest to you would be surprised about? 
Well, I don't know that they'd be surprised. I'm, um, but my, I always say my lifelong goal is to be a partial owner of the Texas Rangers. I'm, um, you know, my ego is not big enough that I need to be full owner, just partial. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I don't think there's any rule or law that you have to live in Texas to be a partial owner. So uh, you can keep that in mind. And it is always good to yeah. have big goals. Um, that's what makes life fun. Well, thank you so much yeah. for joining us today, Absolutely. Mandolin. It has been a joy and a pleasure. Everybody else out there, remember, you've got to take a hard look in the mirror sometimes and say, am I really being intentional? Am I doing the work to get myself where I want to go? You've got to remember that imposter syndrome is just a thing. It is just a syndrome. You can get past it. You can work yourself around it. And one of the best ways to do that is by just taking action. We feel so much more comfortable doing and continuing to grow in doing once we have seen that we can take the first step. So remember to keep getting clear, keep working hard, and we'll keep bringing you enlightening guests that help push you along the path. Until next time, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening in. If you loved what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. Tag us on social media so we can give you a big shout out. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more, head on over to the website where you can learn all about what we do to serve and support our entire community. Until next time, keep dreaming big and getting clear. You are made for more. So start living like it today.